that you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great Hey there, Paisani. Welcome back to the Italian-American Podcast. I'm John Viola with my partner in crime, the Italian-American Wikipedia, Mr. Patrick O'Boyle, and the bell of Bensonhurst, Ms. Rosella Rago. It is a busy time of year right now. We're in the middle of June, and all kinds of stuff are coming down Do the pipe. Do we ever have a non-busy time of year? Nope, I think that's true. Can you tell me a time of year that's our downtime? Because uh, it does not question. exist. No. Because we were out, we we didn't get to bed to two o'clock last night. You know what I feel like is downtime. This is, maybe this is from a hangover from my NIAF days. November, like when Italian American Heritage uh, Month ends, uh, and like yeah, a few people do early uh, November I events. Really yeah, then you go uh, dip into Thanksgiving. I don't, I don't, I, it's a less busy time. It is not a downtime. Fair. For people who don't know, Pat and John are part of like the Boys Club, the God Squad Boys Club. That meets several times a month and has dinner, right? Like, and it's usually with some member of the cloth, some man of the cloth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, yes, we have a lot of clergy dinners. Uh, so, like, I'm not, I don't get invited because I'm a woman, I think, right? Are there girls? Are girls allowed? No, because sometimes I got to be careful because you make jokes and we don't know. We got to make sure we got the holy water ready. Monsignor Casado and Monsignor Jamie. From the Diocese of Brooklyn, you could go out with any time. Oh, that, but that, we, we were with the Gregorian chant crowd last night. Wow. That's not a yeah. really fun. I mean, that's not it's not your scene. I mean, you're welcome to come anytime, bro. But no, no, no. I'm good. I'm we good. were discussing <laughs> the Franciscan ritual, the Dominican ritual, the Carmelite ritual. <laughs> Where to get them online. But Ro, I would never ever, ever you are the shining diamond in our diadem of this podcast. I would never, ever, ever want you to think that you were not invited out even when it's a what you call it god squad boys night out i am not like that patrick you didn't invite me to this i didn't come to that am i that person no Never. no you're easy no. I'm not you're... That per- and but just in case you guys were wondering what wild and crazy guys that john and pat are in their uh in their private time this is it. <laughs> it's true, it's yeah. true Rob. we had a two-hour mass last night for the feast of saint anthony <laughs> And then Pat handed out blessed bread, uh, and then we went. We we started dinner like mass started at seven. We got out of there at nine. We got to dinner at nine thirty with two priest friends of ours, uh, one of whom is European, and was completely ready to eat at like ten o'clock. And I was dead. I was exhausted. John, everybody kept asking me, "Is John at the game?" Yeah, because your team, the Florida Panthers, were uh, up for the Stanley Cup. And yeah. I said, no, he was out for mass with me. Yeah, was, And then we man. went to Dinwood Priest. Everybody was like, well, did John go? Yeah, everybody was thinking that you were down there on the ice. But no, John. No. Even when your personal family team was up for the Stanley Cup, you were in the Italian-American trenches. That is true. Well, which I, is either an indication of our interests or your dedication. I don't know. I don't know. Or either something way. wrong with me. But I, I thought yeah. it was funny when people asked me. They're like, wait, he didn't go to the game? I can know yeah, unfortunately, last night the Stanley Cup Finals ended not so great for us. We uh, lost the Stanley Cup Finals four games to one. A really, really tough series. Uh, a lot of our players have broken bones. Uh, one guy's got a broken sternum. One guy couldn't put on his own jersey. I mean, it's just it's been an amazing run for this team. And I know, actually, I've learned over this playoff run, we have a lot of Florida Panther fans who listen to the show which is amazing, and uh, I'm always really grateful to meet them at the arena and stuff. So if you're out there and you're one of the Florida Panthers fans, thank you for all of your support this amazing offseason. If you're one of our listeners out in uh, Boston or Carolina or Toronto, uh, I'm sure they were a little bit happy to watch us uh, get the same that they got from us. So it's been a really great run, and frankly, it's been really great to watch hockey in places like uh, Dallas and North Carolina and Las Vegas and down in South Florida by us, uh, really be embraced. I think it was the best television numbers in like five or six years, which is great. So it was a tough night to get the news after we left our long European dinner, but uh, I couldn't be prouder of what they've done. And Listen, John, you guys went so far. Yeah. As an expansion team. Yeah. I mean, you should be really, really proud. I mean, listen, everybody wants to go home with the cup. I understand that. But really, you guys did a spectacular spectacular job yeah you know for me honestly like the only thing i mean i i obviously our fans i root so hard for our fans they've been there even longer than the 10 years that my family's been down there they've been 
through ups and downs with this team and a unique place and a lot of mismanagement, even on our part, a lot of mismanagement. But uh, you root hard for the fans and the, these amazing players on the ice. But I was really most um, kind of moved from my parents because they're down there. They work on this full time. They're both so invested. And, you know, you want to see your family happy, you know. And that that was really, for me, what was, uh, what was moving me. And, uh, you know, honestly, I was not um, upset to be – in mass and the feast was beautiful the mass was beautiful the company was great dinner was a lot of fun we laughed a lot as we always do no matter who we go out with so i it was a great night and uh i, I loved watching you handing out the blessed saint anthony's bread because uh people were hesitant to be cafone and take more than one and you were you were pushing it like you were giving out samples at costco well, my mother donates it every year that's right? beautiful and she sits there all day putting it in plastic baggies Ah. Right. So she sits there and she takes every roll and puts it in a little plastic baggie because my mother's side is very, very, very devoted to St. Anthony because um, my grandmother had two of her siblings uh, were dying of pneumonia. And my great grandmother made a vow to St. Anthony and they survived. And at that time they had what was called um, it still exists, but in a much, much more limited form. Um, vote of habits, Votivi, which were. You'd make a, if a saint interceded for you and you got a miracle, you would dress the child as the saint every day until they made their first Holy Communion. So my grandmother's brother and sister were dressed every day as St. Anthony. Wow. Until they made their first Holy Communion. And my grandfather had a burst appendix in the 70s on Christmas Eve. And they rushed him to the hospital. And the doctors said to my grandmother, called the under, he's not going to make the night. Like he's not going to make the night and start making arrangements. And they renewed the vow to St. Anthony and my, and my grandfather was fine. Wow. He made it out. So that's why my mother's side, we never ate meat on Wednesday. That was part of the vow that my great grandmother made for my aunt and my great aunt, my grand uncle when they were, when they had the, the pneumonia. So yeah, my whole life, I never ate meat on Wednesday or Friday, but my mother's very devoted to St. Anthony. We all are. And, and she donates the bread every year. But why am I telling you all this? I was begging people to take the extra, the little rolls. So St. Anthony, I know there's a lot of viewers out there who like don't know the backstory to a lot of these traditions. St. Anthony is, um, he was kind of like the patron saint of poor people. He's Yes, people know him for lost articles. He's, all, he's known for things that are lost, but he's also known for sick children. He's known for uh, feeding the poor. So people would donate bread for poor people on, on the Feast of St. Anthony, or they would donate bread to the church and the church would bless the bread. And then people would give donations for poor people and they would get the bread as kind of like a, a favor. But if I, my mother will ask me to guesstimate how many people are going to be at the mass. And if all the bread doesn't go, I get crucified for miscalculating the number. <laughs> you were hustling. You were like a car salesman. So I have to figure out. So I'm not going to say we had extra bread. Uh, people went home with multiples because people have big pocketbooks. And I said, fill your pocketbooks up. Nothing makes an Italian woman happier than someone telling her, go fill your pocketbook up with something. Yeah, yeah. See, Ro gets it. So I told all these people leaving mass, take take the bread, fill your pocketbook. Take your bread, fill your pocketbook. Because the last thing I wanted to hear was returning the three baskets and having to hear, why did you order 200? You should have ordered 150. Now we have 50 left over. The bread's going to be stale. What am I going to do with this bread? It's blessed bread. I can't throw it out. You think a homeless shelter. So to avoid that mental, um, what's what I'm looking for? Gymnastics. Gymnastics. I made sure. Went home with three empty baskets. And I could say, ma, it all went. So that's why I was begging people. Not begging. That's why I was strongly encouraging, John. Is that the word you want to use? Yes. Yeah, strongly encouraging. Strongly encouraging people to fill their pocket. Because, I mean, I would say my number was 75% accurate. Yeah, you were close. I was pretty close. Yeah. Um, But bread can't, it's not, bread's not like a box of macaroni. You can put it back on the shelf. No, it's got to go. It had to go. So I was telling this, uh, I've never seen so many happy Filipino ladies in my life. <laughs> yeah, they once you right? said put in the purse, that was yeah, a big they because they didn't, they don't think, I don't think they thought that the Italians understood that. You were definitely the sexiest man in that room last night. Thank you, Ro. I try, you know, I try hard, Ro. I gotta represent. 
I was feeling for you, man, because I was at the Belmont Stakes this weekend. Uh. And then I was thinking, Minky, the horse, I hope the team, then there was the team and the horse. It's a rough week for the Violas. I was, I was sad. It's rough week, yeah. We, uh, we, we. I mean, we came in second at the Belmont. You can't, you know, can't uh, cry about that. But uh, shortly thereafter that night, we lost at home. So yeah, it's been a, you know, that's the thing about it. You guys have a horse win the Triple Crown. It's like, don't you, you know, the expectations are high. The bar is high now. That's everything. Yeah, yeah, the, the, you know, unless you come back with the best win you can, everything else is a letdown. But you got to be positive about stuff. I'm, I'm, you know. I think all the time we're so blessed. I, I'm I'm so blessed. My family's got health. There's nothing. Everything is in perspective, and I try to find the good in things. And you know, it's you, you always get another bite at the apple. Thank goodness. So it's been quite a week for the sporting side of my family. But but you know, on the on the good side, we're freshly back from Italy, which was amazing, and get to enjoy uh, kind of all the residue of that and spend time with family. And you know, as you guys know big part of my trip was uh time at my father-in-law and mother-in-law in their village or my father-in-law's village in uh, Abruzzo and uh it's just become a big part of my life and uh identity and my relationship with Italy is my time in this region that I really didn't know very well until I met my now wife and uh her Abruzzese family and John can I interject a moment for the yeah. record yeah for the record you're much more into that town in Abruzzo than Nicole is Yes, I'm much more into all this stuff than Nicole. <laughs> to be fair, we have very different interests, you know, her and I. Uh, but yeah, I'm I am like the, you know, my my wife and my brother-in-law. They grew up going there. Um, I would go there every time we're in Italy. Like they, you know, they find it a little bit uh, played out, I think. But for me, I'm I'm super into it, and yeah, I, I think it's great. It's great to have my daughter there, and it's a beautiful place. The region is beautiful. It's mysterious. It's got a lot to offer, and so when I, you know, for those of you out there who kind of want to know how the sausage is made, Pat's in charge of booking our guests on the podcast. So I get a rundown from him and Stephanie and look over all the biographies and stuff. And so when well, I, I queue them up, let's yeah. I queue them up and then you do an imprimatur. Or, yeah, or Stephanie imprimatur. makes all the actual arrangements. And so, you know, nine out of ten times I get the pleasant surprise of, you know, what kind of what's ahead of us. And we get our notes and stuff like that. So. I was really excited to go over this week's episode with Stephanie because our guest today is Michelle Di Benedetto, who is a New Yorker like uh, like Roe and I, but has roots in Abruzzo and uh, has dedicated herself through her company Maia Tours of Abruzzo to curating really experience-based small group tours of this amazing region. Uh, some people call it Central Italy. We'll call it the northern frontier of the two Sicilies. Yeah, it's the northern frontier of the south. I mean, th- th- uh, for Abruzzo to call itself Central Italy is ridiculous. <laughs> so, well, yeah, John, for, can you us. tell the story why? What story why? Are you going to say that story on air about the grave pictures? Oh, that's really funny. I, yeah, I can. Well, let, let me let me welcome Michelle on first, and uh, I will give you uh, why I think Abruzzo's uh, south. Michelle, welcome to the podcast. You, you, what do you pitch this as? Central Italy, Southern Italy? What's your take? Thank you. First of all, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm thrilled to be here, um, and I love. There's nothing I love more than talking about Abruzzo. Um, so, anytime I start a tour, one of the first things that I tell my guests when we pick them up from Rome and we get on that little minibus, and as soon as we cross the border from Lazio into Abruzzo, I start kind of talking to them about a little bit of the region. And what I always say is that geographically, Abruzzo is central Italy if you just look at that map, but culturally socioeconomically, and every other adjective or adverb that you can use, it is very much Southern Italy. Bra, so that's the correct answer. Ding, that's ding, ding. how I, <laughs> grazie. Yeah, my, Pat references uh, a story that I always tell because my wife and my father-in-law, who I have, I just love my father-in-law. He's a mountain man from Pescaceroli in the heart of the National Pescaceroli, okay. Yeah, him and I have a lot in common, and... Uh, when I first came into the family, I was giving him all these because he would say Abruzzo was Central Italy, and I was giving him all these books like Teroni and all these histories. And uh, many, many years have passed, and he's he and I go back and forth, and he's come around to my uh, south-based view. But I was in uh, 
his sister's house, his, old, his oldest sister in America is like in her early 80s. And uh, she was telling me about family members not visiting her mother's grave and how she visits all the time. And she's telling me my wife and my mother-in-law. And as proof, she took out a book, a photo album, of all the photos of the flower arrangements that she's put on the tombstone of my wife's late grandmother and just sort of going through this chronological history of the decorations she's done. And I turned to my wife and I said, the next time anybody in your family says you're not Southern Italian, I want this book as proof that the photo, the photo evidence of the, of the tomb flower arrangements was like perfect for me. So I, it's a place that, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's geographically, obviously in the center of the peninsula, but culturally, linguistically, culinarily, it's a Southern place and it's an amazing place. Where's your family from? So my father is my father. So my mother was born in Sicily. We'll put that aside for a second since we're focusing on Abruzzo. But, um, but you still get an extra two points for that in my book. So yeah. that's great. Ding, ding. Um, but my father was born in a tiny little village that you can't even find on most maps. It is a tiny little village called Salle. It's in the province of Pescara, but it is within the Parco Nazionale della Maiella. Um, so it's a national park, national park of the Maiella. So Abruzzo is comprised of 30% national park land. And there are three national parks. The first kind of considered the most important is the Parco Nazionale dell'Abruzzo, Molise and Lazio now. But it's mainly, that's just because it touches, it's a little bit of the land is in Lazio and Molise, so they tacked it on. But most of that park land is in Abruzzo, which obviously Pescastelli is part of that national park. Um, then you have the um, Parco Nazionale del Gran Sasso, and Monte della Laga, which is where the Gran Sasso, which is the highest peak in Italy outside of the Alps, is located. The, the uh, Gran Sasso is that mountain um, with its peak being the Corno Grande. But then there's the one that's close to my heart, which is the Parco Nazionale della Maiella. Um, that's what my business is named for, Maiella Tours. Um, so my, my business actually has the old Latin spelling, the J. Um, but now, only recently, in the past two years, they reverted back to the more kind of uh, classic spelling, which is M-A-I-E-L-L-A. -L -L -A. So you can, you'll can you see it both ways, Maella with a J or Maella with the A-I-E. Um, the Maella is considered the mother mountain of Ruzzo, La Madre Montagna, um, a pagan goddess called the Dea Maya, and she's considered the protectress of the region. So in my tiny, tiny, tiny little backyard in Salle, in our village of Salle, we have a little house that my family has maintained since uh, for generations. And we have a beautiful, beautiful view of the Maella right in our backyard. And it really is just such a special place. I mean, for a place of 30% national park, and you can understand why when you're there, because uh, I think to most people, it's changing now. And we've discussed on the podcast a lot the past couple of weeks since I got back how the increase in tourism is really palpable. I mean, you can feel that you're in places that are booming in all different parts of the country. And, you know, we, we've certainly seen an, an increase in an uptick in social media, people seeking out these views that they're seeing and this rediscovery. But for many, many, many decades, even centuries, you know, the, the, the mountains of southern Italy are relatively difficult to traverse. Um, you know, the, from Greek times until not very long ago in the post-war era, it was still substantially easier to travel around the peninsula by boat than it was to cross over the mountains by road. So undiscovered is uh, something that you kind of can throw around a lot, particularly in the tourism business. But in reality, this is an undiscovered part of this country that gets so much tourism all year. Uh, what are you seeing in terms of, you know, you, you created this company in 2017, you do these curated, very obviously passion-driven tours, What's the response been, and have you seen these numbers increase uh, throughout Abruzzo? So we aren't yet seeing an increase in Americans visiting Abruzzo. Um, when you when you visit Abruzzo, and you there is there has been a slight uptick in tourism. However, you can go, you can still go to Rocco which is this fortress within the mountains that is, um, it's the highest fortress in all of Europe. Um, at 15, around 1,500 meter, meters above sea level. So this is, if this 
particular landmark were in Tuscany, was near Naples, there would be tour buses lining the roads and you would not even be able to get up there without kind of weaving your way through crowds. In Abruzzo, you can go on a summer day and be the only group there. Um, so yes, there has been a slight uptick in tourism, but it's still really quite undiscovered. And it's a blessing and a curse, right? Because as we've seen, yes, we don't want Abruzzo. No one wants Abruzzo to turn into these, you know, over-touristed areas now that are really like where the quality of life has actually diminished for the residents there. But on the other hand, having said what we said, that Abruzzo is, in addition to culturally Southern Italy, also economically Southern Italy as well, it could use a little bit of boost, of a boost. And the fact that we're only two hours from Rome is really, it's astounding to me that more people haven't really found their way there. Summer is for movies on Mediaset Italia. Every Sunday, pop some popcorn and enjoy Italian cinema on Mediaset Italia at 8.35 p.m. Eastern, 5.35 p.m. Pacific. June movie highlights include La Sconosciuta on June 11th, Il Grande Salto on June 18th, and Provincia Meccanica on June 25th. So go to the movies with Mediaset Italia this summer. Call your local television provider and ask for the channel today. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I find it uh, really astonishing. Like, you know, first of all, if you're a nature lover, it's incomparable, right? I mean, the the I first time I went to Pescaceroli in the Abruzzo National Park, you know, we, we pulled up and it, it looks like a Swiss village. It's all alpine. It, it smells like every fireplace is on constantly, even in the summer. It's just beautiful. The, the, the fresh air, everything is amazing. And I remember the second day that we were there having a horseback riding trip through the national park and seeing these old growth forests with uh, moss on every tree. And, you know, I, it's like being in a, a fantasy movie. It's like Lord of the Rings, you know, these, these, these forests that look like they're fiction and uh, you can do all of this kind of alone and, and, and isolated. And there's beautiful towns and cities and churches and just amazing amount of stuff. And to your point, you're two hours from, Roman and the Fiumicino Airport. I mean, uh, my wife's aunt lives in the town of Tagliacozzo, which is an amazingly beautiful. It's like a movie set. The, the, beautiful. The, yeah, the historic center. It's got all this interesting architecture, and it's high in the mountains. There's mountains behind you, and it's an hour and fifteen minutes from Rome. And it stuns me that it doesn't get more tourism. Uh, and I've I've been you know working best I can to figure out exactly what we do to support that because like yourself I think it's an area that not only deserves the economic boost but people are going to want to see. Absolutely absolutely and it's really like stepping back in time. So I do a summer tour every year um, it's a little bit more on the rustic side it, it's a relatively rustic trip. Um, very comfortable obviously but you know it's in this little I can't even call it a village. It's a hamlet um, called De Contra which is deep within the national park, the Mayala National Park. And we stay in an agriturismo called Agriturismo Pietra Antica that is owned by this and operated by this woman named Marisa, who is just larger than life. She, when she, when I, when I roll in with our little, our, our van every summer, um, and I always do a women's tour here, uh, where people where these women really just want to unplug. They want to just kind of really just, immerse themselves into um like this this part of italy this kind of idea of italy that like they they hoped still existed but they're not sure because they leave rome and they're completely completely thrown into these hordes and hordes of you know crowds and then they're wondering okay what is next for me and then i kind of whisk them off to de contra and marisa when she welcomes them she'll say okay you are at your cugina's house right now. You are, it's like staying at your cousin's house that you didn't even know you had right now. You are our family for this week. My home is your home. And, you know, every morning they're going, they're seeing the shepherdess. There's a shepherd. There's, there's a shepherdess in this town. She's essentially a recluse. She's lived her life just with these sheep. 
But every morning she walks by the agriturismo with her sheep and they're just watching her. And just, it's as if time has stood still. It's like really an Italy that still exists in imaginations, but because I think there has been some irresponsible tourism that has been um, proliferated around Italy and kind of encouraged, but again, just kind of inviting people to the same areas. But here are these pockets, these corners of Italy that are just waiting for um, visitors to be to discover them, to live among them. And I think for me, this is my kind of mission is to not just kind of put Abruzzo on the map in terms of like as a destination for, in my case, U.S. travelers, but because I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm American born, but also to have an experience where that is an actual experience where you're getting to know the people that I introduced to you in a real intimate way, understanding how they live, what they eat, how they work every day. Um, and I really think that Abruzzo, this kind of experiential, really deep kind of travel, Abruzzo is really the ideal destination for it. But it also takes a special kind of traveler to do it. I will say that. Yeah. I mean, tours in, in certain parts of Italy are easier than others. It's like, I, I remember I started my tours on the on, in Sorrento, the Amalfi Coast, which is, you know, Disney World in Italy. Then we did, yeah, which when I started, you know, in 2015, 14, you know, there was some, there was tourism, people had Instagram, so they saw the big sites in Puglia. Then we did Sicily and not even Western Sicily. We did the East coast of Sicily, which was probably not as easy as if I tried to do Palermo. And then I said to my tour operator, let's try and do Calabria. And he goes, no, Calabria is not ready. Like. <laughs> they yeah. don't have the infrastructure. They don't have, you know, what people don't realize is that even, you know, now Puglia is becoming Disney World too. But if I had tried to do this in the early 2000s, never. I mean, they they don't don't have the the accommodations, the the hotel infrastructure to support the the transfers. You know, go doing a tour in Italy. You need a transfer service. You need like you need so much infrastructure in your tour to make it seamless for Americans who are used to being, you know, picked up, dropped off, catered to, you know, that it's 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 not easy. It's an undertaking. It certainly is an undertaking. Yeah, it's a massive undertaking. And uh, I remember when I was at NEF and I revived this Region of Honor program that uh, had kind of gone dormant. The first region to sponsor it was Calabria. So I, as part of the package, had to do not only our Voyage Discovery, which was our student-based trip in Calabria, but I had to do our board of directors meeting, which meant taking, you know, potentially 20 to 40 of my bosses with me to this region. And, you know, th these are prominent Italian-Americans who are used to certain types of accommodations and buses have to have the right air conditioning. And that, and, and it, it was difficult even back then in 2012 in Calabria to find the kind of facilities that these uh, board members would be, uh, frankly, satisfied with. And it was a big exercise. And, you know, I think that that's an interesting part of Italy in general, right, because when you go to the major tourist destinations, there's 8 million hotels and all these national chains and international chains. And then when you get off the beaten path, it's uh, it's a crapshoot to find accommodation. And if you're not the kind of traveler who's willing to stay in an agroturismo or stay in a pensione or maybe nowadays an Airbnb, you might be let down by the lack of kind of traditional American facilities that uh, you encounter in a lot of these off the beaten path places. Michelle, in your experience, obviously you do your tours in Maia, but uh, the, the region's got so many places to offer. What parts of Abruzzo do you think have the best infrastructure for an adventurous American tourist who might want to explore, but also may want to have the comforts of a kind of, you know, familiar hotel and things like that? Where's a good starting point if you're self-guided in this? So I think that um, Sulmona is a really good base. Sulmona is a city, is a, I wouldn't call it a city. It's a large town slash small city. Um, it is a town of artisans and has a traditional, something akin to the Palio of Siena every summer. It's called La Giostra Cavallaresca. And it basically is, it's, you know, where all of the different neighborhoods compete in a horse race every 
July and August. Uh, so very similar to uh, Siena. So Sulmona is a little bit more attrezzata, for lack of a better word. Attrezzata means to, you know, just ready or kind of, I don't, there's actually no perfect translation of attrezzata, is there? Do, does anyone? No, no, right? no, I'm, trying, no to, yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying to come up with the word attrezzata. Um, it's just kind of a little bit more fixed up for the tourist, for lack of a better word. But um, Sulmona is a really good base because you do have um, a combination of some different B&Bs. There's some Airbnbs, but there are some more larger, more modern hotels. Now, the one thing I'll say about the larger, more modern hotels in places like Sulmona or Pescara or even L'Aquila, L'Aquila is a different story because it's still kind of rebuilding after the earthquake, but in the larger towns and cities, is that they lack character. Um, and a lot of them, they're just kind of these big boxy, you know, post-World War II structures that don't really have um, a lot of character. Having said that, there are, they are air conditioned though. So if that is something that's important to you, then right. Yeah, <laughs> call true. it what it is. It's a great Let's point. call it what it is. Breakfast is going to be hot waiting for you, probably more ample, a little bit more varied than you're going to get if you're just going to a little agriturismo that's just kind of serving like whatever they've made for you that morning. So if you're looking for kind of a little bit more of that modern, you know, like classic American travel experience, Sulmona is a good place to start. And another thing is it's in a valley. So it's flat. So you're not, you can, you can have a car and from there you can use it as a starting point for all three national parks because it's really, it's um, at, at the base. And then you're very close to the Apostrada to get to the coast as well. Um, you have towns such as Scanno, which is called the Pearl of Abruzzo, right nearby. You're not far from Apescaceruli, for instance, but Pacentro, which is one of the Borghi Piubelli d'Italia, part of that consortium of like the most beautiful villages in all of Italy, is in Surmona. And then there's so much to do there. There's nightlife as well. Um, that's the challenge for me. Sometimes when I plan, so when I plan my tours, and I do about three a year right now, the, uh, the summer tour is the most rustic one. The others are a lot more modern and have some more creature comforts. Having said that, I do tend to stay away from the larger hotels and even the larger cities, because like I said, I'm really trying to push my clientele that actually contacts me. It's, and they usually, it's very word of mouth. So they've contacted me because they've been following me on social media, for instance, or they know a friend who, oh, Michelle, you know, Michelle took them to this amazing place called Abruzzo. I want to go. It's a real kind of off the beaten path uh, destination. Having said that, I also attract the traveler who's already been to Italy three, four times and now is kind of like the Italophile who's trying to get a little bit deeper. So for those people, I really want to have them stay in these family owned properties, whether it's you know, more rustic, like the, like Marisa's Agriturismo, or a little bit more modern, like my friend Francesca's Dimora Storica, which is kind of like an antique palace that they've restored. And they've actually added air conditioning and all, you know, modern amenities to all of their rooms. But they're located in these little villages where there's all not all that much to do at night. So like, we'll go out to dinner and then, you know, that passeggiata doesn't really exist in some of these smaller villages. So for instance, so for that traveler that wants to make sure that they get, that they want to travel independently, they don't want to really do a tour where they're, um, they, places like a Sulbona, they have that kind of vibrant passeggiata scene where they can go out to dinner in the evening and not have to drive around at night. That's, you know, I would really recommend Sulmona as a nice base. And Sulmona is also famous at least in italy for the manufacture of confetti the uh this the jordan sugar almonds that uh, we all give away at pretty much every event that you have people over right i mean it's a it's a big part of their identity right absolutely and they and it's but it's taken to a level that we as you know as italian americans have never even seen before because it's actually turned into into art where they'll prepare butterflies with the with Jordan almonds, flowers. And when you get to Sulmona, there it's the uh, the main corso is lined with stores selling these um confetti. And you'll see big bouquets of flowers that are basically confetti, bumblebees, um like I said, different little animals. And it's really just this beautiful, colorful place. And it's it's a really good kind of like 
way to kind of introduce yourself to Abruzzo. And also, Sulmona is only about an hour and a half from Rome. So it's a very, very easy, even if it's a day trip or an overnight, it's very, very easy. Yeah, another area that I have uh, discovered by accident, Nicole and I had a friend of mine who got married in Italy, and he and his wife chose to get married in Lecce. So we made our way down to Lecce, and then we were going to drive back through Puglia and a little bit of Molise and visit Nicole's aunt and then go on to Rome. And we decided to take a couple of days at the um, at the sea in, I guess it's called the Trabocchi Coast. It's the... Yeah, La Costa right. di Trabocchi. Yeah, and we stood in a town, we stood in a hotel called the Baia Delphis Resort, which was really nice. It was on the water. It had, a, I recommend it highly to everybody. It had a very, you know, a clean, a lot of character, air conditioning, the whole kind of things Americans expect. And it was in the, on the shore in the shadow of a town, large town, small city, like you said, called Vasto. Mm-hmm. And that was a really amazing place too. I mean, beautiful medieval city, lots to do, lots of restaurants, and uh, you can drive up through there and through the mountains and uh, make your way all the way up the Adriatic coast or over to Rome and uh, the center. It was just, it had a lot to offer to me. Uh, do you find people going that way and exploring the coast? And can you explain better than I probably could what the Trabocchi coast is? Cause that's also fascinating. It's completely fascinating and it's actually quite mysterious. So obviously Abruzzo is on the Eastern side. So it is called um, the region of Mare Monti, so which means uh, mountains and sea. And the Abruzzesi are very proud of the fact that they say you can go from the top of the mountain down to the sea in one hour. And I would say that the real jewel at this point of that Adriatic coast is a stretch of coastline that runs from Ortona down to Vasto, which is like the most southern part of the coast, called La Costa di Trabocchi. Um, and what a trabocco is essentially a wooden fishing platform that is suspended on stilts. So it juts out into onto the sea. Um, and they're mass, they're, they're, they're huge. And they're made like of like this very complicated, like mess. It looks like, you know, when you first look at it, of wood and nets. But essentially what happened was um, the fir- the initial trabocchi dated back to, so it's not really known when the trabocchi emerged. There's a lot of kind of different theories, um, but it is known that they were initially installed by fishermen who were afraid of the seas. One theory is that Spaniards from the Inquisition who were kind of so actually uh, people who were thrust out of Spain and settled on this part of of the coast. They um, came to this part of the coast. They were afraid to fish, but they absolutely and and fish on boats. Excuse me. They were afraid of the sea, but they knew that they had to make a living uh, on the coast. So they built these wooden fishing platforms so that they could actually just walk like they with pathways that go from the land and jut out into the sea so that they could fish and make a living and not actually have to brave the seas in a boat. So at this point, there are only about a dozen of these trabocchi remaining along the coast. Some of them are owned privately. So my first introduction to a trabocco was, gosh, about 15 years ago. One, uh, my best friend in Italy, her father-in-law, was the best friend of this family called Iveri, V-E-R-I. And the grandfather, Orlandino, owned about five or six of these trabocco. He had owned them for two, like his family had owned them for hundreds of years. When he passed away, he left the trabocchi to his various grandchildren and said, you can do with them what you want. Most of them became restaurants, and that's what a good number of these trabocchi are now actually restaurants. It's pretty amazing. These multi, you get these multi-course seafood feasts there. Um, and actually, the ones that are owned by his family are really among the better restaurants, uh, the best of the trabocchi restaurants. But he left one of them to our friend Claudio and told his grandchildren, for as long as Claudio is alive, you are not to turn this trabocco into a restaurant. It is to be left with Claudio, who is going to essentially be the custodian of this particular trabocco, so that this way people are free to come on and off the trabocco as they're walking along this piece of coast 
um, because I want people to see the way that the trabuki were used in the past. So what you can do is if you're just kind of walking along the Via Verde, you can go on to Claudius Traboco. He's always there on the weekends and he'll show you around like a Traboco that hasn't been transformed into a restaurant and show you how to lower the nets, how to fish with them. So you can really understand kind of like the original purpose of the Traboki. Um, it's really a fascinating, fascinating piece of coastline. But one exciting development in this area has been the um, construction of the Via Verde. So there is now a paved bike path that goes from Ortona down to Bastel, where you can bike along the entire Traboco coast. Um, and what's really great in terms of tourism in this area is like all of these, now there are little bars and cafes that are that are popping up along the Via Verde. So if you're biking along or walking along, you can stop for an aperitivo or a cafe and you can rent their different um, tour outfitters that are there as well who are renting bikes. So this is really kind of, I will say that this is a part of Abruzzo that is starting to really kind of emerge and become, to go back to that word, attrezzato yeah. for different tourists. And it's always my guess, one of my guests' favorite days is when we spend it on the coast. If you haven't seen it, it's worth a Google. You've never seen anything like them. That, you know, you might picture a sort of American-style jutting boardwalk, but it's it's basically looks like somebody... I don't even want to say tied sticks together because it's not boards of wood. It's it's sticks and they defy logic that they survive out there. And they're really, really fascinating. And we had an amazing time in Vasto and Lanciano uh, is the home to a very important Eucharistic miracle, another amazing medieval town. So, so exploring that side uh, on the Adriatic, the Eastern side of Abruzzo's uh, another definitely destinational opportunity for people because, uh, I'm glad to hear that there's so much going on to develop that because it's a, it's a unique place and uh, some of the more beautiful, unspoiled portions of Italy that are left, I think. And what's incredible is that you can be on the beach, you can be swimming in the Adriatic, and from certain vantage points, you can look up and see the Mayala mountain. Yeah, it's crazy. That's from wild. the beach. It's really just wild. It's And, and the cuisine is actually quite interesting because, because of the trabocchi, this kind of coastal cuisine has emerged that merges land and sea, which means, so what used to happen is the fishermen who would go and fish off of the Trabocchi would then barter with the farmers that were just behind them, literally right behind them, would barter with them. So you have a lot of traditional dishes that include both seafood and legumes such as chickpeas um, or different kind of beans. So this very, like one specialty is gnocchi con ceci and uh, vongole. So you have gnocchi with chickpeas and clams. Mm. So like this, a little bit of a different, little different version of like Italy's coastal cuisine um, really emerged as a result of the ingenuity of these fishermen who built these trabocchi. That's yeah. I've always found the cuisine in Abruzzo to be really soul food hardy, stick to your ribs, enjoy, especially up in the mountains. And uh, I think the best meal I've had some great meals in Pescaceroli, but uh, Nicole and I had a meal in Lanciano, a lunch. We stumbled onto this restaurant. I wish I could remember it. I have it written down somewhere. Mm. It was in like a kind of like an alleyway, like a like an arched covered alleyway. And uh, they sat us down and they basically said, you know, here's the menu del Jordan or whatever. And they brought all these. I said, you know, give me what you got. And we ate for like five hours. It was the most everything was just really wonderful and, and hearty. And if you go to a restaurant like that and tell a guy, give me what you got, like you're in trouble. What do you, I mean, <laughs> you better be ready. Yeah, you, you, better, you better have your waistline ready and, you know, sweatpants on. I was going to say stretchy pants. They take that as a challenge. They live for that. I do. Oh yeah. He certainly did. He certainly lived up to it. I mean, we ate every. You know, they have like those um, lamb. Obviously, features big in the mountains, and oh. the uh, we. My father's family calls them spedine, but the uh, rosticini are a big part rosticini. of the Abruzzese, right? What well, that's uh, absolutely. Lamb. So it's really mutton. Mutton is what older lamb. So mutton is older lamb. Obviously, this is really like Abruzzo has a trim as has. A very important pastoral tradition um, that also dates back thousands of years. Um, and you can't go anywhere within the mountains of Abruzzo without talking about La Transumanza, 
which is actually under consideration, the Transhumanza is under consideration for to become a UNESCO tradition, a protected UNESCO tradition. So the idea of the Transhumanza is that the shepherds start up in the mountains with their sheep in the highlands of the mountains. And then in September, before the very, very harsh, brutal winters arrive, they start bringing their sheep down to the lowlands of Puglia, specifically around Foggia. And then they spend the milder winter in Puglia, and then they make the journey back up in the spring, back up to the mountains so that the sheep can return to the mountains and the shepherds could um, return to the mountains um, to spend the milder summer um, and graze on those mountains. And actually, there's a there are a few churches where the windows are actually quite low. Um, they're actually kind of like so that you can stand up and just look directly into the windows because those churches um, up in those kind of shepherding villages, um, the sh the shepherds used to stand outside of the churches while the priest would bless them um, from so that this, they could watch the uh, the blessing and bless the flocks as well before they left for this uh, journey. So you would be able, they would just stand outside with their sheep and they would watch this blessing. So they're really these really fascinating churches that have these low, low windows so that this way from the outside, the shepherds could be a part of this blessing before they went off on um, this transhumanistic uh, journey that they would go on every year. And it's said that everyone in Abruzzo is essentially most during the generations where the Transhumanza was really prevalent, um, was born in March. <laughs> because somebody came home, right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And if they were not born and have, let's just say that there are some towns where there's, there is, uh, there's a tradition of a lot of women would be called witches because if there were children not born in March, it was said that the witches did something to the women or that the priests did something to the women. So, wow. Yeah. No, yes. that's, that's, I love that kind of history though. That's, you don't think in those terms about how the culture that, you know, today we fight to preserve and protect has impacted so much of the identity and the mythology. And it's, it's a great place for that kind of stuff. It's got its own interesting culture and quirks and uh, like every corner of Italy you know the the deeper you dig the more you find and I, I'm just so happy to see somebody here in the United States with the same passion for the place and doing the hard work of uh, making it accessible and and revealing it to people it's uh, it's really uh, a job well done tell us before we go how can our audience find you and be part of my tours and uh, part of what you're doing Sure. So I, I have, uh, like I tell everyone, I have a website that if nothing else is eye candy, just looking at these beautiful, beautiful photos. So um, you can find me online, Mayela Torres, M-A-J-E-L-L-A Torres. Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Shoot me a, shoot, you can just drop me a message. Um, I always, it's actually really fun. I always just get emails from people who say, my grandfather or my great grandfather was born in this village. Um, can you help me just try to figure out how, you know, how I can access this place. And um, I love talking to people who have roots in Abruzzo, whether it's, you know, first generation, second generation, or even further back. Yeah, it's, uh, it's. I mean, there's a, there's a healthy population spread throughout the country. You know, we always talk about down in Philadelphia and parts of West Virginia and stuff like that. Uh, so if you have Abruzzese roots, it's definitely worth a visit. And uh, even those of us who don't can easily, like me, fall in love with this amazing uh, wild place that's got so much to offer. So and it's so easy. It's so easy to get there from Rome. Truly, that's the that it's not. You know, listen, Calabria's remote. It's hard to get. Calabria is not easy to get to. I understand the challenges, but Abruzzo is so easy to get to from Rome. You can definitely take a couple of days from your kind of like grand tour of Italy to kind of get off the beaten path and reach it easily from Rome. Yes, absolutely. And you're going to find something that is uh, totally unexpected and many of your friends at home you know if you're still doing the Kodak slideshows you're going to shock a lot of your friends with the beauty of the scenery and the people and the traditions and the towns and there's just so much to unpack and it's only a couple hours drive from Rome and uh easy to get yourself down to if you want to discover it so when are we gonna go on a podcast tour I'm dying to do that you know I'm dying to do that that would be like my dream I I especially to do 
a tour in Abruzzo because our listeners deserve. I mean, we have a lot of Abruzzese listeners, but they deserve to see something off the beaten path. So I don't know, Ro, maybe we could pull it off. I think we should go to where we're all from, experience each other's cultures. That would be amazing. Yeah. That would be. Of course, I'd have to whittle down between the four options that I have. All right. Yeah. You got to condense, but, you know, that's. Yeah, I know. I got, I got a lot. I got a lot of backgrounds to choose from yeah pat could do the valdidiano and the chilento coast and ro i mean you are miss puglia yeah and i also got like i said i also have the sorrento coast naples got a lot to offer coast. i really i i hit the genealogical lottery. that's true i expect the parade when we visit san mango oh they, they have a piazza ready to dedicate to you you know that right well i expect nothing less <laughs> no no you'll get a great reception the band the church bells will ring yeah yeah, let me tell you something. You could go anywhere in Italy. You will never, ever get the reception that San Mango will give you. For Roe. Better than Mola. Better Absolutely than Mola. better than Mola. Mola hates me. I mean, like, you know, you're never a hero in your own country. <laughs> That's absolutely right. You're not. That's very true. Well, I, uh, I've i been saying it in a lot of episodes lately since I came back. I think it's well worth pursuing. I think our audience uh, would love it. And uh, I hope they would join us. And I hope they will pick up the opportunity to join Michelle and see Abruzzo because you will not regret it. I promise you from every experience I've had, it's a really wonderful place and uh, you'll meet a lot of people who are Forte Gentile. So we hope you've enjoyed. We hope you're inspired to visit Abruzzo. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Be great. See that you're born in Italiano.